And she asked me if I would do it. And I said, absolutely not, not doing it. And another week went past. She asked me again. Nope, didn't want to do it. Asked me again a week later, still didn't want to do it. And I think she actually got in contact with my mum and started talking to my mum about it. And she asked me again, and that was the time where I just gave in and said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And from that moment, I started rehearsing at home with mum, learning my lines, like learning the, the ropes, I guess, and rehearsing with everyone at school. And I was still very, very self-conscious about it and was very, very hyper-aware all the time of what people were thinking of me. I felt like I was just not comfortable in it. And then came the showtime and that first night when I was on stage in front of the audience, I felt this feeling of being exactly where I was meant to be. And that was the moment where everything shifted. And so I owe everything to to that single moment of that teacher convincing me to be the lead role in the school musical And I all of a sudden had people cheering for me. I had parents asking me for my autograph, finally, as a kid. And that attention and being valued and being seen as being good at something and seeing that as an asset was the start of me rebuilding my self-confidence that I'd lost through that experience. And it's just been a journey of of progressing that and, and building that ever since. I'm Ren McDonald, and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth, where I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald. Thank you for joining me for what is episode number 101 with Andrew Stevenson. Andrew and I met last year after a mutual friend introduced us and since have gotten to know each other. We've become boys. He's an absolute king and we've had many brilliant conversations in that year and I wanted to have him on the podcast. He actually reached out as well and replied to something on socials saying he'd love to come on so we made it happen and I'm absolutely stoked we did this conversation goes pretty deep pretty fast he's very kind in sharing you know some things that have happened to him which we'll obviously get to so thank you so much mate for all that you did and all that you have and all that you will you're an absolute legend and it's an honor to know you so please enjoy this conversation with Andrew Stevenson Andrew Stevenson, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Thank you for having me, bro. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be here. You are more than welcome, mate. We met a bit over a year ago now, introduced by a mutual friend, one of your best mates, Matt Thomas. Correct, yes. Who I met at the start of 2021 at a job that we were working at together. And since that time, I feel like, yeah, we've become very close. We've worked together. We both have our own companies, but we've worked together, hung out a few times and yeah, wanted to have you on. You kindly enough, like I just mentioned, uh, you know, nominated yourself in a way, but you were someone that I did want to speak to at some point on the podcast. So thank you for coming today, dude. No, dude, it's, it's truly a pleasure and thank you again for having me. So 
let's uh, let's get this show on the road. Yeah, man. So how I like to normally start these things, which are typically with a stranger, albeit I do know a little bit about your life, but for listeners who don't know, I would love for you to start with your earliest memory, whenever that may be, and bring us forward to present day. We're recording this in October 2022. So if you could, and I like to sort of put a challenge out to the guest to say if you can limit it to within three to four minutes. So pick out those key moments, but starting with that first one and bring us forward to today. Over to you. Well, I I grew up in, in Brisbane. And so I've been very, very fortunate to have grown up with a very loving and supportive family and the opportunities to kind of move in whatever direction I wanted to. And in that, I went through a fair bit of trauma and struggle when I was a lot younger. And that's definitely shaped who I am today. And it's quite interesting. So my, essentially my father passed away when I was 11 years old. It's probably the most significant and pivotal experience in my life. Very, very, very grateful for that experience in hindsight. But it's interesting. My brain has seemed to not eliminate that sort of portion of my childhood or memory but I actually struggled to remember certain moments in my life from before that experience. So I've kind of identified that I think my brain has almost put up a bit of a defense mechanism to kind of shift my, I don't know, perspective or relationship with myself from when I was younger to, you know, now, today, today. So yeah, that's probably the most integral sort of experience that I have a deep sort of connection and memory of. But essentially, I've had this great opportunity through that experience to discover what being a man is to me and to find what masculinity means to me because I haven't had a role model like a father in my life for those developmental years, like in your teens and as you kind of make that transition from boyhood to manhood. So in that, I've been very, very grateful that I've been able to kind of, yeah, redefine what being a man is to me and it's in turn created the person that I'm very, very proud of today. I love it, man. Thank you for sharing that on you a little bit. But obviously, you know, when a microphone's on, it's, you know, nice of you to open up like that. So I guess it, it, it goes or occurs to me then say that earliest memory, do you have one that was maybe prior to that period or do you feel like it's sort of all shut off because it's, you know... It's, I guess that, that traumatic period. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I feel like I don't have like specific moments or memories per se. I have obviously a memory of what my childhood was like and it was amazing. And I I was very, very fortunate. I mean, like we didn't have heaps growing up, but we had love, support, had a great education and yeah, like it, it was amazing, but I don't have anything in particular that stands out because I feel like that experience and that that time just was so huge and, and the breadth of it and how it affected me was so massive that it kind of just takes over. Yeah. So, but overall, yeah, those early memories, I'm still very, very grateful for. I remember being very, 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 very happy and excited and quite a an energetic kid. I definitely loved being the center of attention, which in turn, you know, has manifested later on in life. Like I, as you know, I'm an actor Mm. and I love to perform and I love to make people laugh and to kind of bring the energy of the room up. It's a big part of who I am. And that definitely was manifesting when I was a child. Yeah. But interestingly, after the experience of my dad passing away, 
I feel like my personality or view of the world shifted quite significantly and I actually found myself in a very much more introverted, quiet, self-conscious and extremely socially aware of everything and was always quite self-conscious about what people were thinking of me. I was bullied quite severely in primary school and a little bit into high school as well, which is all around that same time. So it was quite a a huge sort of amount of adversity for this young kid that was just trying to figure out his place in the world. And at this point I hadn't discovered acting or theatre or my love for 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 the craft of it and, and my creative side, which is definitely my more dominant side. Yeah. And it was actually through that experience of losing my father that I was able to discover that. And so essentially what happened was I was in grade seven at school and my father had passed away probably a year and a half prior. I was being very, very badly bullied at school. I was at a school with, uh, I think there was about a hundred girls in my year level and only eight guys. And I was definitely an easy target. I was quite vulnerable at the time, as you can imagine, emotionally. I was also, you know, quite overweight, wasn't very fit, was just very, very self-conscious and in this sort of state of, of sadness, essentially. And through that, yeah, I was I was picked on a fair bit. But then my year seven teacher had was casting for the school musical at the end of the year. And there was one male role, no, and it was the lead role. And none of the other guys at the school wanted to do it because it wasn't seen as cool. It was going to be this lame sort of school musical thing. And she asked me if I would do it. And I said, absolutely not, not doing it. And another week went past, she asked me again. Nope, didn't want to do it. Asked me again a week later, still didn't want to do it. And I think she actually got in contact with my mum and started talking to my mum about it. And she asked me again, and that was the time where I just gave in and said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And from that moment, I started rehearsing at home with mum, learning my lines, like learning the, the ropes, I guess, and rehearsing with everyone at school. And... I was still very, very self-conscious about it and was very, very hyper aware all the time of what people were thinking of me. I felt like I was just not comfortable in it. And then came the showtime. And that first night when I was on stage in front of the audience, I felt this feeling of being exactly where I was meant to be. And that was the moment where everything shifted. And so I owe everything to to that single moment of that teacher convincing me to be the lead role in the school musical. And I all of a sudden had people cheering for me. I had parents asking me for my autograph finally as a kid. And that attention and being valued and being seen as being good at something and seeing that as an asset was the start of me rebuilding my self-confidence that I'd lost through that experience and it's just been a journey of of progressing that and and building that ever since beautiful who's that teacher what's her name her name is bernadine abbott bernadine abbott amazing i think not that you i mean you definitely owe something to her in a sense but i feel like you're you know fulfilling that and you know you mentioning there that you felt like you felt at home like you're meant mm. to be it's pretty cool like i got goosebumps when you just mentioned that, I fortunately enough was in a few school plays 
when I was younger, wasn't in a school with uh, a ratio quite like eight to 100, <laughs> you know, one, one bloke for what, every 12 and a half girls is ridiculous. Mm. But, you know, it wasn't maybe looked down upon or not in my head anyway. I really enjoyed those school plays and, and playing around. I remember doing R- Rapunzel and being the, the prince. I don't know if you're you know aware of that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. story, <laughs> but like doing those sorts of things. For you, like, where do you think that comes from, that insecurity? Because at that age, you know, we're so young, you know, that need to be validated. Mm. Do you link that back to the passing of your father or was it, yeah, something else? I think I definitely link it to the bullying in school and because I was always so loved and supported at home. I mean, I was also a middle child, so, I mean, that has its own sort of attachments, I guess. But in hindsight, my mum was grieving the loss of her husband who she loved dearly and like they were soulmates and she was having to bring up three young kids on her own one 14 one 11 and or one six year old on her own and I mean naturally your attention can only go so far I think not that I at all lacked any attention at home but I definitely feel like, yeah, those those kids that would pick on me at school and would make me feel lesser, that kind of just created a bit of a, a, a psychological relationship with myself that maybe I wasn't worth being talked to or, or, or was worth being ignored or mm. wasn't valued. And it was that experience of getting on stage and performing in front of all these people that made me go, no, I am valued and people do love me and I am capable of doing something that brings joy to people and also brings joy to me. So why wouldn't I keep doing it? Yeah. So you kept doing it because as I know and I've, I've witnessed, bad witness, thankfully, to your yeah incredible skills of doing that, of capturing people's attention, making people laugh, you have a very incredible way of, of doing so. But talk to me through, you know, those those early years of whether it was school or, you know, performance art, how did that flourish in your mm. life yeah so well that year seven musical that was the last year of that school so the school went to grade seven and then you'd go to high school from there and so after that experience I decided that well, that was a direction that I wanted to go so I had a purpose and I went I want to be an actor that's what I want to do and I went to high school which was a private all-boys school in Brisbane a few more boys then a lot more yeah <laughs> yeah yeah which ended up interestingly being a challenge in itself, but a different challenge and also one that I'm very grateful for. So essentially I, I went over there. I I was studying for two years there, so just years eight and nine. I continued to get bullied a fair bit. I was the creative drama kid at this point and I was in a school full of a lot of, it was very sports focused, Mm -hmm. which I find is quite common in a lot of these private or boys schools anyway. So there was like this kind of hierarchical system going on where it's like, if you're good at sport, you're popular. And if you're not good at sport, like I was, I was an, I was a chubby kid. I was overweight. I wasn't very fit at all, but I loved drama and creativity, but that also in turn led to a little bit more bullying, unfortunately, but fortunately in hindsight, very, very grateful for it. But it showed me just kind of how these sort of toxic masculine sort of cultures that exist in, in these schools and how dangerous they can be, especially after 
leaving that school, moving forward and then kind of like revisiting that experience a little bit older with a little bit more maturity and experience, I'm able to kind of identify how a lot of kids going to these schools, they're kind of like, you know, you're going through puberty, you're going through hormonal changes, you're, you know, you're discovering things like pornography and like all of these bits and pieces that kind of come in and create these weird sort of ideals of what being a man is and the separation between men and women in these schools as well is quite interesting. I don't particularly agree with, with, you know, single gendered schools. I think co-ed schools would definitely be the direction I'd want to put my kids through, but it was just interesting to see, especially after high school, some of these guys, they just wouldn't know how to connect and communicate with a female unless it was with the intention of sleeping with them or getting with them. And it just kind of, is breeding people that don't know how to work with each other. And like that segregation of gender I found to be really, really interesting, but also something I'm very grateful that I was able to escape. Yeah. And probably bear witness to, right? Mm. You're saying there that those guys who maybe stayed after the fact, yeah, would only be able to, I'm guessing if, yeah, they're intoxicated or under the influence of something and only then are they able to talk to the opposite sex. Yeah, correct. And like, I mean, a lot of the time, these guys are under the influence of each other, really. Yeah. And it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, really interesting. But also, in the same time, it's if you don't know any different, and that's just, you know, where your parents have put you, and the, it's seen as a, a great school, which it is. The school I went to is a great school. But again, it's like what happens outside of the actual classroom on lunch break with, you know, all these other guys. It's like, that's how you're starting to figure yourself out and figure out what it means to be a man and have to try and project this sense of masculinity and confidence to work your way up the social sort of ladder, I guess, at school. Because if you, you know, if you don't, you'll just be eaten up and mm. and, and spat out really. Yeah, totally. I appreciate that. I think it must have been more challenging for you as well, being in that environment, having lost your father and trying to develop a sense of self and knowing what you wanted to do. It was obviously nice that you found that sense in that year seven play, but in those two years you were at this all boys school. What did that look like? And what was your understanding of what it meant to be, you know, in air quotes, a man or a young man at the very least at that time? Yeah. I mean, I hadn't figured that out and I don't think, you know, uh, it's, you know, a thing that you're always kind of trying to figure out and, and over time you kind of figure out what that definition is for you. But I think because of the 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 trauma and everything that was going on, I it almost felt like I was just trying to survive day, day to day, mm. to be honest. And I knew that wasn't right and I knew that I didn't deserve that at that point because I was aware that I was a good person. I just wanted to be happy. And I did have a bunch of really good friends at that school, but it's just, you know, that's what teenagers and kids do. They're mm. cruel and that's just part of their own, like, learnings. And I've I've since understood that a lot of the time, a lot of the, the negativity or the bullying or the whatever that's going on is always just going to be a reflection of what they're going through personally in their in their life day to day, what's okay. going on at home, how they feel about themselves, and it's all just a projection of that and a reflection of that. And 
understanding that and thank thankfully for me I had people in my corner like and even my mum included who just gave me so much motivation to try and see it through that that lens I was able to by by the end of that year nine the end of year nine I was definitely able to kind of separate myself from that a little bit more thankfully an opportunity came up halfway through year nine for an art school called the Queensland Academy of Creative Industries and I'd heard about this and it seemed very, very um, attractive to me at the time. It's a co-ed specialised creative school for people in the arts that want to pursue things like theatre, acting, music, visual art, music. So naturally I went, well, let's give it a go. And so I went through like an exam process, an audition process, learnt about the school and I was so, so so in love with this place and knew that it was my next, the next step of my journey Mm. and that I needed to make that a reality. And I was very much supported by everyone in that decision. And thankfully I got into that school and was able to transition into my last three years of high school into becoming probably three of the best years of my life. And that's where I really found my tribe, found my people and found myself more importantly. Amazing. So that school, what was the name of it again, sorry? The Queensland Academy of Creative Industries in Brisbane. Amazing. So I'm trying to do a rough time on you, what, like 15 when you arrived to this school, 15 or 16? I was 14, actually. I was quite young for my age. So yeah, I was a little bit younger than everyone else, but yeah, yeah, 14. So 14, you go there and you spend three years. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Can you describe a, a typical day? Yeah, so we did... So they have three Queensland academies. There's the creative industries, health sciences, and then science, maths, and technology. And they all use the international baccalaureate diploma program, which is outside of like the typical Australian education system. So it's like an internationally recognized one that is used in schools all over the world. And every school that has the IB as a program, does the exact same exams, does the exact same tests, like has the exact same syllabus and rubric for assessment and that sort of thing around the world. So it was very much a more globally minded sort of education and saying like, here's the world, you can go and explore it, ask bigger questions, like there's more than just what's here. Mm. And it gave me that perspective shift of being like, there's more than just what's in Brisbane. There's opportunities to take my craft and my love and whatever it is that I end up wanting to do anywhere I want to go. And that was super, super powerful. But in terms of like a a day-to-day thing, it was quite a, a rigorous education. It was very, very, I mean, compared to you know, your typical school was quite difficult. Um, there was yeah. a lot of assessment, a lot of work and time was required. Um, but in that, again, so, so, so grateful because it taught discipline mm. and that if you don't put in the work, you won't get the result. And because of the nature of the school, um, having to audition to get in, having to do the exams and get certain scores in your school tests and that sort of thing, it did mean mean that the people that were there were all there because they wanted to be there and they all wanted to be there to better themselves. So you essentially just eliminate the crap yeah. and then you're only surrounded by other people that are driven to to do well and to succeed. And that did create, you know, a, a competitive aspect to the school, 100%. Sometimes maybe it was treated unhealthily, but 
on the most side, it was it was great because it got me to get my shit into gear. Yeah. But also just inspired me to try and be better every single day. Yeah, awesome. I feel like you do need a bit of a competitive edge. Like I mm. of the opinion, like the idea of giving everyone the same sort of trophy or for like, for example, if it was say soccer, I remember growing up and getting, you know, working hard for, I remember I got the under 12 coaches award and that being like mm. a huge thing for me. But if everyone got the coaches award, it would have taken away from that a little. Mm. Mm. And that made me strive to become a better player. So the idea that like competition is a bad thing, like comp, like the world is competitive, right? Like, right. If you want to fucking, you know, have a business or, or do anything, like there's going to be c- competitors in yeah. a way. That's not to say you can't work with them and, you know, together to help, but, you know, you need to sort of have that in your toolkit, so to speak, I think. And I think it sounds like you were in a in an environment that was very collaborative, which mm. is fun. Was it classes like a normal school, but then geared toward more creative things in terms of some of those other things like you learned like the English maths or were they off the cards no yeah so you had um you had your core subjects that everyone had to do like your English maths you had to elect like a a science if you wanted to do that and then you have your art subjects some people did two different art subjects Mm -hmm. Uh, but like yeah just your standard maths English like a science your art, and then I think there was another one, but I can't remember. But we had no sport, interestingly. So I came from this school that was so sports-focused to a school where it was not sports-focused whatsoever and actually 95% of the students hated sport, just (laughs) like I did at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was was definitely a really different and interesting education. It was right near QUT, Queensland University of Technology, and the school had a very strong relationship with them as well. So it was all about kind of like you're having to – we had this whole sort of ethos around earned autonomy. So after about a year of being at the school, if you – were seen like you'd earned your autonomy. You'd have the freedom to do things like just leave the school at lunchtime, go grab a bite to eat, hang out, do whatever, and then come back. And like you have to build that trust and earn that trust within the school to be able to to do those things. Yeah. And so I just feel like it taught me so many just really, really important sort of life lessons and just things that have translated into into, you know, adulthood really, really well especially in those that time around, you know, that 14, 15, 16, like you're forming a lot of the habits that you'll keep with you for the rest of your life at that point. So having that as a core part of my education was an integral part of that growth. Yeah, I love it. I consider you to be a very creative dude. And how old are you as well? 24. Put put that on record. 24, 24. you just turned 24 last month, right? Yeah. So 24, very creative and hardworking guy, very talented, but I don't think for a lot of us, this just naturally comes about for you. Do you feel like this period at that school was that time or were you creative in your younger years, if you can remember them? I definitely feel or like my creative side has definitely been a part of who I am, but I just don't think I ever identified or connected with it properly until that point. Yeah. And when I was then surrounded by all these other creative people and was being, you know, praised for being creative and thinking outside of the box and was finally able to feel like I could think the way my brain wants to think rather than forcing it to to kind of fit a, a, a shape that you know it doesn't it doesn't fit in I think that was 
Yeah, super, super important. But in particular, it was my theatre course at that school that was the most transformative and life-changing sort of part of my education that I'm incredibly grateful for. It was a very, very intense course. Theatre was known to be the one subject in the school that people would dread or like usually half of the people that would join it would be dropping out by semester two of year 10 because of the intensity of it. But it wasn't the actual workload, which was very, very intense for that subject. It was more the emotional and psychological challenges of that course and what our teachers put the students through. Mm. That was super, super, yeah, just like really, really important for for that growth it was very challenging and i mean a lot of the te- a lot of the parents actually would almost bring it up to the teachers because it was quite intense so like we would have times we had one class in year 10 where essentially we walked into the drama studio all the lights would be out black and then we were told that we are going to spin around in a circle for 2 hours straight what and then they put on the music and some like ambient lighting and just got us to spin around in a circle in one spot for over two hours. And it was, it, it was essentially teaching us to a lot of year 10 and it was, was trying to teach us to how to come closer to presence and for being in the moment and for feeling your emotions, letting them like kind of come over you, feel them, identify them and move on. Mm. And some of these really deep introspective conversations that we would have during class, really exploring our own individual psyches and identities and psychology, that was extremely powerful. Mm. Very, very intense. But for the right people, which are the ones that stayed in the course, it ended up being very, very pivotal. And it meant that I was able to create extremely meaningful, vulnerable connections with classmates and other people and made me realise there's a depth to humanity and our relationship and connection with one another that goes beyond what we see. And that as like a 14, 15 year old, that realisation is pretty powerful. Yeah, that's incredible. So that was one of the exercises. What what were you doing? Eyes closed, looking, were you blindfolded? Yeah, eyes just eyes closed, spinning around in a circle. And that's one of many crazy experiences that our teachers facilitated for us. Wow. We would have huge intensive weekends through theatre, which were compulsory, where like we'd go Monday through Friday through school normally, but then we'd have to show up at you know, seven in the morning on Saturday and we'd be in an intensive workshop for all of Saturday and Sunday and wouldn't finish till 7, 8 p.m. each night. So, like, you had to be very, very disciplined, but it forced you that if you were there and you weren't going to give up and you were going to get through this course, you had to be invested in it and that was the only way. And that that sort of discipline and that ability to be like, holy shit, I'm so much more capable of getting so much done mm. than I thought is, yeah, is it's translated so well into my adult life because you just have, you have a, a sense of confidence in what you can achieve both emotionally, spiritually, but also like in terms of the actual work, like we would be putting on huge scale productions all the time, every other, every other term or semester 
where we'd be, you know, rehearsing at school till 9, 10 p.m. and then showing up the next morning back in the rehearsal room at 7 in the morning. So it was really kind of concentrating like work ethic and discipline into our development through school and that is just amazing for 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 a lot of people. <laughs> it almost sounds like beyond the creative aspect of it because I get that it is in to do with the arts and that sort of stuff but it seems like yeah you described it as before as being like psychological or you know almost psychology based classes where you're training your mind and that discipline. I don't remember ever doing anything like that in high school. No, and I think it's so important for for kids to start really thinking and considering like and understanding their own brain. I think that's just the most important important part of of creating a better life and a more fulfilling life for yourself is knowing how your brain works, mm. knowing how you think, knowing what your kind of personality type is and how you best connect and communicate with people. That is such an important skill that maybe takes a long time to develop outside of school yeah. or maybe it's something that you never even have the opportunity to explore and delve into and and develop, which I think is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're young like that and you're curious and you're discovering the world and you're forming what your identity is, having that sort of psychological side to fall back on and to actually become introspective, sit back and think about how you interface with the world. That's such like an important sort of integral skill that like will just benefit you and all the people around you. Yeah. It's, it's part of why I start with that earliest memories to find out how a person, you know, has come to think how they think. And one thing that you've already mentioned, if I was counting, I don't know, maybe a dozen times is, I'm really grateful for that. You've said it multiple mm. times. For me, whilst I knew of the word grateful, I don't think I ever practiced gratitude prior to this year, really. Maybe last year I, I did a little bit, but it seems like a recurring theme, you know, not only obviously in this chat, but in your life that you're grateful. Do you remember when that sort of came into your universe? Was it back then or has it been a more recent thing for you? I definitely think it's been a lot more recent, to be honest. I think maybe the the feeling of gratitude has been there, but my actual understanding of gratitude, what it means, and to be actively practicing it on a daily basis has been something very, very recent, mm -hmm. probably in the last 12 months. Because yep. I also think there's a big difference between saying and feel and thinking that you're grateful and like and really like deeply feeling that gratitude and being able to really identify through your experiences in comparison to other people's experiences and being able to put yourself in those people's shoes and to empathize mm. then you start to see not the things that you don't have or the experiences that you didn't get to have but you just focus on the things that you have had or will have and do have now. Yeah. So where do you think that came from then in this past year or so? Definitely through the people that I'm very, very grateful to have in my life and to be surrounded by, as well as just my personal growth journey through listening to podcasts, through reading, through traveling. Traveling has been a huge one. And I think that's and like I've I've been to Southeast Asia a couple of times this year, which has been really, really pivotal as well. Just being able to 
see how other people live, how happy and fulfilled they are with in comparison to what we have, nothing. Yeah. It then makes you just come back to reality and go, holy shit, I do not ever need to be stressing about money or how, like what car I drive, what friends I have, you know, all the validators that we all have that kind of create our identity back here. But when you have that, that shift in perspective and you see how other people live and it just makes you realize how much you do have. And when you just focus on what you do have, life gets pretty fucking good. Yeah, you are right. I feel like for me, that idea of practicing gratitude and being grateful for, yeah, what you do have, it's been, I don't know, a long time coming, but it has been so worth it in this past year. And it's not to say I was unhappy before or didn't appreciate what I had, mm. but I almost feel like that's the definition of, of happiness or at least one of them for me is like, you know, being grateful for what you have now. Yeah, you correct. Know, it's and not to say you can't want or aspire to have more, to be more. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's, a you know, like you mentioned, a part of like personal development and growth is like wanting to achieve more, right? But you got to be grateful for, yeah, what you have in the moment that, you know, has also gotten you to this point of, you know, being aware that there's something else to, to chase and achieve, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. And I think like anything, it's a muscle that you have to work and you're not going to get it straight away. Mm. Um, like I remember even when I was consciously trying to practice gratitude and be like, I'm grateful. It, it doesn't really work per se at first because you've got to keep practicing it and keep saying it, even if you don't truly feel like you believe it at the time. Yeah. And then over time, when you just start to form that habit of practicing gratitude and identifying when good things happen and consciously being able to go, identify that's a good thing that's happened to me and that that thing has not happened to anyone else but me therefore I'm grateful for that experience and this is how it's going to improve this is how it improves my life and I'm I'm grateful for that because I didn't you know I didn't necessarily ask for that or or, or get it mm. it just came to me <laughs> and then you know it just feels like everything feels like a gift you know even as simple as seeing, uh, you know, waking up like this morning, having a beautiful day, sun's out, like being able to walk outside, look up and say, I'm so grateful for this mm. and that I get to experience and live in this moment right now. Love it. You mentioned, you know, your father passing at the age of 11 and almost immediately you said that you were grateful in hindsight for that experience. Mm. You know, if I'm to put my sh myself in your shoes right now, if I and you've met my dad, mm -hmm. legend. <laughs> if I didn't know him beyond the age of eleven, I right now would find it hard to feel grateful for an opportunity mm. to have experienced that. Yeah. So I would love, if you don't mind, to maybe just unpack that more. That idea of yeah, losing your father at such a young age. And now being, you know, a 24-year-old man, having, yeah, gratitude for that. Mm. It's it's a really interesting conversation and it's something, and I've only been framing it in that way probably for the last 12 months. And because it, it's hard, it's hard to say that you're grateful for something like that, especially when ov obviously I 
wish that that never happened. I loved my dad. He was my best friend. Like it was the hardest, most traumatic form of adversity I could ever go through. But the, the definition of gratitude towards that experience is what it allowed me to learn and the person that I was able to become through that is you have to, you have to go through adversity in order to grow. That's how you, that's how you, you know, like when, when you're 11 years old and you get through an experience like that, any challenge that comes in front of you later in life, you know that you've gotten through that and that you know that you'll get through the next one. Mm. But in terms of, yeah, just framing it in that way has been really interesting. And especially to my mum, like talking to my mum and saying like, I'm very grateful for that experience. I had to, it's taken a few times for me to be able to frame it in a way that she goes, okay, I, I get that now because it's it's a weird thing to kind of say. Like, of course, like, why would you be grateful for, you know, a family member passing away? Yeah. Especially when they've, you know, you love them and they have such an important part of, they're such an important part of your life. Totally. But it's it's not the actual thing that happened that I'm grateful for. It's what that event has in turn created yep. further down the track that I'm grateful for. And it's meant that my ability to empathise with people has significantly, it's it's probably one of my most favourite parts about myself is my ability to empathise with other people and it's what has allowed me to create the relationships and the connections that I will have for the rest of my life that I'm so eternally grateful for, my friends, the people that and my family, the people that I know that I've been able to help inspire, get out of shitty situations, have all been because of that experience of of going through that adversity and growing through that and having that perspective shift. So I am very grateful for that experience. And it's the same as when I was picked on. I also frame frame that in in the exact same way. I'm so grateful that I was bullied and picked on. And it's because I then knew what it was like to be ignored and to feel left out. So I now will make sure that no one I'm around ever feels ignored or left out because I know what that feels like. Yeah. So that's why I think it's so important to have bad things happen to you and to, you know, go through struggle and adversity because then it makes you a, a, a stronger, better person overall. I mean, if everything was always good, then and nothing ever went wrong, then nothing's ever good because you don't have what went wrong to compare it to. It's kind of like the the yin and yang. Mm. So true. And yeah, very valuable, I think, what you just shared there. So thank you, man. The idea of masculinity, you brought it up before, mm. and not having a father figure there, being bullied in school, I look at you now, 24 years of age, you, I think once, maybe twice this year, travelled back home up to Queensland to help your sister with her driver's licence. Yeah. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a few siblings as well and have some very good relationships with them. But your relationship with your family and being the eldest boy, because you've got a younger brother as well and your sister's yeah, a bit older than you, right? Yeah. So do you feel like you've taken on that masculine role in the sense of, you know, going and, and helping your your sister with that, for example, I think is 
yeah, sure, a brotherly thing and a beautiful thing to do for a sibling, for anyone really. But I also see that as being a somewhat masculine, like helping, you know, get, you know, what is a very freeing thing when someone gets their license. So that's an example that I know of. I'm sure yeah. there's many that you do and foster and create for others. But yeah, I would like you to sort of share, I guess, what your, you know, idea of masculinity is now off the back of maybe some shit experiences in, in high school, you know, getting bullied and, and these sorts of things and how that's developing for you. Mm, mm, yeah, I mean, I've definitely, definitely in my adult years, I've definitely taken on the role of of sort of the, I don't know, the the father, I guess, of the family in a way. I I'm very fortunate that, you know, my my family all trust me very deeply and I do always do my best to to help wherever I can. It's a big part of my personality is helping others is what fulfills me. It's what makes me happy is is being able to be of service to other people. And obviously my family is always going to come first with that. So any any time I could ever help help my family in any given way, I will go above and beyond too because it makes me happy it fulfills me so like you were saying my sister my sister was going for her license this year and it's been a huge goal of hers so my sister struggles with some pretty bad anxiety and depression that was triggered from my father's death another reason why I'm very grateful that my brain was able to process and deal with that situation in the way that it has but unfortunately for my sister it 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 went the other way and so a big goal of hers this year was to get her license. And, and so a couple of times I went back to Brisbane was giving her driving lessons and motivating her and, and, and trying to be that sort of mentor for her. And through that experience, our relationship has become even stronger, like stronger than it has ever been before. And I'm so grateful for that as well. (laughs) But Essentially, the first couple of times we 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 tried, she didn't pass the test, and unfortunately, it was the anxiety and the overthinking that kind of that kind of took over in that moment. But I kept trying to remind her that it just wasn't meant to happen this time, and that you know it's it's you keep trying and you keep getting yourself back up and and putting in the work and showing up, you'll mm-hmm. get there. And the last time I, I went up, we were practicing again and we went for a test. And I mean, I was, I was telling her like little tricks, like before we left, I'd say like, we're going to repeat 10 times. I'm going to get my license today. I'm a good driver. I'm going to get my license today. I'm a good driver. Just really trying to solidify that sort of vocabulary in her, in her mind. And then also gave her the affirmation that she doesn't have to pass today. It's completely fine. And like, we'll just try again. It's fine. Like what's (laughs) the worst that can happen? You lose 60 bucks because you've got to book another test, you know, and took that pressure off of her. And then she went in to do the test. She was very, very nervous. And she went off. I went for a walk around the block while she was doing a test. And then half an hour later, I get a text message from her and she said, I'm finished. And I was tracking her on find friends on my phone, like where she was going so I could see where she was driving. And I'd seen that she'd only just gotten back. So I thought, oh, she hasn't got her license because if she did, she'd have to go get the photo taken and go through the whole process. So I was like, okay, that's fine. No worries. We'll just try again next time. It's, It's fine. But then I walk into the Department of Transport office and I see her and I see the 
biggest smile on her face. And that moment has probably been the most significant moment for me this year of seeing that just made my year. It just brought so much joy and happiness to me to see her with this huge sort of goal that was like she'd been, you know, working towards for so long, but was also so, so scared for so long of, of achieving. And, and it's the fear of failure and not being able to, to do something like that and just like getting in your own head and thinking I'm not able to do this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm out of my comfort zone. And when I saw her actually achieve something that was very, very, very significant to her. And I knew the depth of the significance of getting that license for her Mm. was the most beautiful, fulfilling experience I've had this year. So it was, it was amazing. But going back to what your original question was, was my definition of masculinity. For me, it's vulnerability, which is funny because I think the traditional definition, I guess, of masculinity is to be strong to kind of put walls up in a way and to be in control and able to provide and do all of those things. But I think the definition, I know that the definition of a man is a man that's open, a man that is vulnerable and in touch with his emotions, but also his needs, but also the emotions and the needs of the people around him. And that's where he can be of service is by facilitating spaces and facilitating conversations with people that make, make them comfortable, that make them feel heard, that make them feel safe and to explore that to its absolute depths. Oh man, seems like you did that very well with your sister, those affirmations. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funnily enough, something that I was also, you know, trying to practice more of at the time is, you know, self-affirmations and being aware of, you know, those limiting beliefs that we may have and rewiring that conversation and, and actually projecting those words and using the power of, of the words that you speak both into the world, but also in your own mind and how they manifest into reality. Mm. I think that's, yeah, like it all, it's, it's a very sort of almost simple introduction to the world of manifestation, which I know that you're very much into, but it's very, very interesting how just the way that we think and the words that we speak impact our psychology so deeply. And then all of a sudden when you start, practicing these words of affirmation, of gratitude, all of these things, naturally you just start attracting so much good shit Yeah, because you're aware of the good shit when it comes, but also through, through that action, you just energetically seem to magnetize opportunities and people and relationships and moments. And that in combination with, yeah, that gratitude practice, it just means that every day is a gift. Yeah. It really is. Where did you come across that you mentioned before as you started to maybe, I don't know, enter your early 20s, podcasts, books, these sorts of things? Where did you come across affirmations or, yeah, manifestations? It would have been, so once I finished high school, I I moved to Melbourne and this is just after meeting Matt Thomas, which is the bloke we were talking about earlier, a very good friend of us both. And I moved into this little like abandoned dance studio with, with Matt in Brunswick. 
and we were paying like 120 bucks a week cash in an envelope and we were living in office cubicles essentially and we'd have dance classes happening all the time it was a hectic living situation but it was a living situation nonetheless and it was our living situation and we both moved out of home and did this thing together and Matt and I both have the same personality structure. So I don't know if you've done the Myers-Briggs personality test. No. Really interesting and really recommend anyone listening to to do that test. You just Google Myers-Briggs personality test. But I also suggest really taking your time with that and sitting in each question and really being authentic to your answer. But Matt and I have the same personality structure, which is an ENFJ, which means extroverted, intuition, uh, feeling and judging. And so that's pretty much the way that we perceive information, filter it and make decisions and view the world. Mm-hmm. And having a deep understanding of that is a game changer in, in its own right. But that's another conversation. <laughs> but essentially living with Matt meant that I was around another person that thought in the same way. And so naturally we were able just to connect on a very, very deep level and we're able to start bringing each other up. And through that progress, we were kind of leveling up together in a way and trying to find ways to better ourselves. And obviously a lot of things like learning about meditation, I'd then also discovered exercise and the importance of health. So like I lost a bunch of weight and started getting fit and now fitness is one of the most important parts of my life yeah. and I'm so grateful for that. But, yeah, it was just through through surrounding myself with him and then over time building that community of kings, as we call them, <laughs> people that are constantly striving to be better but also constantly striving to help the people around them also be better. Yeah, That's what's really helped curate sort of that curiousness to improve and to learn and to integrate new things into your life to make it better so it was yeah it was it was that move to Melbourne leaving home being independent and being in control of everything that happens in my life that was when I really started to discover that and that's where yeah that manifestation and affirmations and that sort of thing we were kind of discovering and exploring together so yeah, and it's and it's only just continued and it will forever continue, hopefully. Yeah, totally. I think the collaboration aspect of becoming a better person is an interesting one. And we sort of touched on it before when we talked about competition and mm. having healthy competition, but also working together as a team. And I know you've mentioned that maybe sport when you were younger wasn't something that you were interested in and whether it is now necessarily or not, but like a team sport doesn't necessarily like a team sport you don't have to be playing a team sport in order to be in a team that works together yeah and it sounds like even though maybe it was just you and maddie or maybe there was others you you didn't name names but you mentioned yeah you know sort of like a community of kings almost but like what was that like at that time because maddie's your age as well yeah so you know he's a very talented dude as well and so are you in in your own right i think you've both maybe worked on a few projects. I mean, I got that's how I met you ultimately. Yeah, it is. Yeah. A wacky project with my dad last year. But that idea where you're all sort of on the come up together and you're, you know, yeah, ultimately coming up through life, learning as you go, sharing ideas, you know, collaborating. I think it's very powerful and has the ability to snowball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. I mean... Firstly, 
we can go on this journey on our own or we can do it with other people and doing it with other people is a whole lot more fun because you're still on your own individual journey, but you're sharing that with people that you trust and you're also supporting them through their journey. And then you're learning the lessons that they're learning and they're learning the lessons that you're learning and you just bring each other up to a point where you're just almost growing simultaneously together. And yeah, I, I think finding those people is just so important, so deeply important. I've been very, very lucky that also one of my other best friends, Zed, I met him through theater at, at the Queensland Academy. And obviously through that course, we became very, very vulnerable together. And we formed in a very, very deep, inseparable connection, even through high school that we were actually aware of and having conversations about in, in high school, which, yeah. you know, is, is a pretty cool thing. But I'm also aware that for a lot of young men in particular, they don't find those people uh, sometimes ever. Yeah. And so that ability and that skill or the even the awareness of being able to dive deeper and to think in that way and to, I don't know, explore your own personal sort of psychology and how to grow is a conversation that a lot of people don't actually ever have the privilege of being able to explore, yeah, which is really, really interesting and something that I want to dedicate a, a good part of my life to is helping the people around me uncover that and maybe that could manifest in at some point going into schools and talking to young dudes and, you know, opening up these conversations and, and making them cool because they are fucking cool, mm. you know. What's more cool than making your life better and making life happier and bringing the people that you love up around you. Yeah, and not fucking bullying others. Yeah, correct. Out of your own insecurities ultimately. But I feel like even that is like it's on that person. Like those kids probably saw something in you and, you know, if I'm to put myself in a bully's shoes, someone's father's passed away, I'd almost have, like, I have admiration for how you went about it. I didn't know you at the time. I've known you for a year. But if you're an insecure young kid and you see someone else who is going through arguably the hardest thing you'd ever go through and they're still showing up to school, they're going about their business and, you know, doing it with respect of those around them, it's on a bully to be insecure in that moment and to go I'm gonna I'm gonna you know pick on this other person it's not to say that they're horrible people obviously what they're doing isn't a nice thing and they're working through whatever problems they've got and unfortunately taking it out on someone else which obviously I don't advocate for but it's almost like you can't control what they are doing and what they're going through but I feel like any of that sort of thing a bully a hater like I say haters in air quotes because you know I just released episode 100 of this podcast and I've been sharing a bit more on Instagram, which, you know, you're a part of on the close friends list mm. because mentally for me, it's like, oh, well, do I share it with, you know, the whole of Instagram? <laughs> not that I've fucking got the whole of Instagram yeah. following me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Kanye West, you know. Not Bluetooth yet. Exactly. Or probably ever. But it's like, well, are they even real? Like... And don't get me wrong, I'm, I know, I'm sure the bullies were real at that time, but it's like a lot of these insecurities, I think, just come from within us. And, you know, 
through the process of collaboration with, you know, guys like Zed, Matt, and seemingly when you were younger, you found it from somewhere to just persist. Maybe it was that teacher. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. I I don't know. It could be just how how my brain is wired or I, I don't know where it's come from. But again, it's like what I was saying about like the difference in between me and my sister. We had this exact same upbringing. We went through the exact same experience together. But our brains process that experience in very, very different ways. And of, of course, similar ways as well. Yeah. Do you think because she's a girl, that's a big part of why that's different? I don't, like, I don't think it's to do with her gender. No, no. I don't think it's because she's a woman, but I think it's, for me, it became a motivator because I would just think, well, what would, what would dad want me to do? Or, you know, life is so short. Like, why would I, you know, why would I, I waste any opportunity? And like at that age, I'm not actually thinking that, but yeah. I think deep down, that's kind of how my, how my brain kind of works is I try, I, I see it through, through perspective. And this is another reason why that Myers-Briggs test is so interesting is because you start to read further into your personality type and how your brain works. And one of the big parts of someone that has the F in their personality type, which is feeling, is their natural ability to be able to put themselves into other people's shoes and to have empathy, yep, like a deep understanding of empathy. And I think it's through that that I've been able to just be able to essentially compare my experiences with other people's experiences and then see how individual they are and then just to be like, you know what, this is my set of circumstances and I'm going to work work with them this is the 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 cards that i've been dealt and it's up to me whether i make the most of it or if i want to you know shrivel up into a ball in my room and 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 not do anything about it really yeah that's optimism though right like making the best of a situation Mm. yeah have you always been an optimistic kid you describe yourself as well as being a chubby overweight kid not really into sport and maybe having low self-confidence yeah is that yeah, well, I definitely, yeah, I was like, man, I don't know if anyone could have been as self-conscious as, as I was for a very, very long time. But that wasn't me being my true self because I just hadn't had the people around me and had the experiences yet for me to uncover who that person was. So I think I've always been quite optimistic though, yeah. for sure. Like I've always, always seen a problem and known down, deep down that if, I do the right things, I can solve that problem. And that whole problem solving sort of, I don't know, look at, at things has been has been amazing because you can just say, I want to go and achieve this and there's always a way to. Yep. There's always a way. And being able to identify, you know, the the steps that you can tangibly take to make that thing a reality and make that thing happen, you can do. You've just got to show up and, and do what's required. And, like, it, it started from even moving to Melbourne. I told myself I wanted to move to Melbourne. I had hardly any money. I was making like 15 bucks an hour at Target or something like that and wanted to transfer unis and start paying rent and didn't didn't have family here, like didn't have the support, didn't have any extra money coming in or, or help in that regard. But I knew that I wanted to study in Melbourne, study theatre in Melbourne and move out and be independent and start making my own life. And you know, living in a public dance studio for 120 bucks a week, listening to like 
super loud like dance music till the late hours of the night every single night that was a way of achieving that and like that was a compromise I was willing to make to be able to achieve that goal and solve that problem of wanting to to change and and move and and do those things yeah how long were you in the dance studio six months yeah intense it was it was pretty intense i think matt lasted three months (laughs) and then he went back home and then i i nutted out another another few months and then after after that i ended up renting with another friend at the time a the cheapest two-bedroom apartment in all of melbourne (laughs) yeah how much was that that was 300 a week between you yep between us it had all this mold growing in the ceiling, the shower from the apartment above us would leak down. Oh. I'd have to like fill up this bucket of water three times a day. So I'd have to empty it out three times a day. It was tiny. It was, it was, yeah, it was a very interesting place. But in hindsight, I was, at the time I was so proud of that space because it was mine. Mm. And I knew that I'd, you know, worked my ass off to to be able to create that reality and to and to do that yeah and so i was so proud of it i was having people over like when my uh, family came to visit from brisbane like i was so excited for them to come over and see my place even though my mum walked straight in and snarls her nose up and goes oh this is disgusting (laughs) you know what i mean it was Um, your space but it was mine it was mine exactly and it was a physical representation of the work that i'd put in and having that sense of pride was everything to me so but yeah it's it it comes back to like when you see see something that you want to achieve like a problem that you and seeing it as a problem that you want to solve and knowing knowing that there is a solution and just you just have to find what that solution is and then do the things and then you will have that reward or you will get the result that you want that way of thinking has been yeah a very very big part of a huge part of my life for another example was in my final year of uni i um i was very very lucky to be selected to be part of the monash global discovery program so they pick 10 students every year from the whole university to go over to new york for a week to network and meet monash alumni that are living and working over there in various fields and i applied for it in my second year of uni and felt so drawn and attached to this thing, this program just felt so, so drawn to it, like I needed to do it. And I made this big video, Maddie helped me with the video, and I applied and I was almost like refreshing my emails daily, just waiting for hopefully that I'd get through to the next round. And I didn't get it and it shattered me momentarily at the time and I went, that's all right. Next year is my last year, my final year. I have one more opportunity to do it and I'm going to get it. I'm going to get this program next year. Super, super competitive through the uni. And then final year came. I was waiting for the applications to open and they did. And I went, okay, what do I need to do to make this happen? And luckily I had Matt as one of my best mates and he's a filmmaker. So he helped me make a killer application video and had to write like an essay and just put absolutely everything into it. I set the background of my phone to the Empire State Building. I would be running on the treadmill in the morning and visualizing that I was running through Central Park. (laughs) 
And I was so, 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 so obsessive over this opportunity that I just did anything I could. And this is when I was starting to learn more about manifestation and visualization and that sort of thing. Yeah. I get through to the next round, go through like a bunch of different interviews and group tasks and that sort of thing. And at this point, I'm just like in the interview rooms, I'm just being so as open and vulnerable about how I feel as possible and saying how, you know, how I feel just in immensely drawn to the opportunity. And I, you know, I, I think it's something that will really benefit me in terms of seeing the world and seeing how I can take my art and my craft to, to the next level and all of these things. Although at the time, I feel like I didn't really know why I was so drawn to it. It wasn't that I just wanted to go to New York. That's a, you know, that's <laughs> a, a big part of why I think a lot of people would have applied was it's, it's a free trip to New York, you know? Yeah. But I just felt at like a heart level, like a deep level that I, I just felt so drawn to it. Anyway, we go through all the audition process and I think we got down to like 20 people and we're all just waiting to hear who, who got it. And Damn, they only take one. Or did you say <laughs> no, that no, no, ten? They, they take ten. Okay, they cool. take ten. I think yeah. it was eight to ten people. Yeah, yeah. And I, I got it, and that was the first time where I went, okay. When you really sort of put the energy into the universe of something that you want, and you go th- go for it with a full open heart, and you use these techniques like manifestation, visualization shit happens. Like you can literally create whatever reality you want. But anyway, I go and I have this week in New York and it's the most amazing, incredible experience. And I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the the hustle, the bustle, the go, 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 the opportunity. You just feel like you're part of something bigger when you're mm-hmm. in New York and everyone's there for a reason because it's not an easy place to live or be. Like it's stinky, super expensive and like to 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 live there isn't a comfortable life but because you're in New York City you feel like everything could change all of a sudden or that you're just part of a bigger a bigger thing that's going on totally and i told myself firstly the first morning when we'd arrived i went for a run around central park and oh, yes essentially saw what I'd been visualizing on the treadmill every morning for the past three months, I love that. which was amazing. But yeah, in that second or third day, I just told myself, I'm going to move here next year. I'm going to move to New York. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find a way. And that was the next problem to solve. And so I got back, graduated from uni and then started working a, a sales job for the next six to nine months and just saving, 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 working full-time, trying to save up some money so I can move over to New York and sorted out all the visa stuff and just went, I'm going to do it and jumped on the plane, moved over there wow. and somehow made it happen. I was, yeah, I was 20 at the time, so I couldn't even drink when I got over there. <laughs> but it was, yeah, I just... I had this vision of what I wanted and just did everything I could to to make that a reality. And then funnily enough, after, you know, four months there, Matt saw, you know, knew that I was over there and doing it and then saw that opportunity for himself and was inspired by that and moved over himself. And then both Matt and I were both living and working in in the US, so wow. in New York for a while, and then and then Los Angeles, and and that experience as well was just 
so pivotal. Like we both just grew and leveled up with each other on a whole other level because now we're in a whole other country, both pursuing our our crafts, him filmmaking and me acting and just giving it a crack. And that was extremely, extremely special and something I'm so grateful for. But it's very funny how all of that was just, you know, the lead up from me solving the problem of moving to Melbourne then solving the problem of getting that trip through uni. And then that led to me moving over there and having probably one of the most significant experiences of of my life. And we created some memories there that we will cherish and hold forever. Yeah, it's very rich. I think you have to go through that process, right, to figure out what it is that you want to to do, Mm. you know, and and those things change. Yeah, and like I do in all of these episodes, I'll ask you a question later that I like to sort of end on. But, and for those who know what the question is and and listen, I won't give it away just yet, but it's like you you have to go through things and, and maybe fuck up. And like you've said many times and shared, you know, the the mistakes or the things that go wrong. Ultimately, if you're an optimist or if you make the most of that opportunity, you can be grateful for it Mm. and then come back and and go again, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. And it's funny because that kind of segues into how that time in the US sort of ended was COVID happened, right? And so within the space of two days, had to, like I got told that like retail was shut off and I was working in retail to pay the bills. So all of a sudden I had no money coming in and I was living week to week because that's, you know, it cost a lot of money to live over there. And so I had to cancel the lease, had to, you know, end my job and pretty much just leave the US behind and terminate my visa because that was part of the conditions was if you leave the country, your visas terminate and you can never get it again. Yeah, And so... That happened and we had had to make the, the very, very difficult decision to move back home, which ended up being probably the best thing that has happened to me in recent years. So get back to Brisbane and COVID is running rampant. Everyone's in lockdown. I all of a sudden am back home in Brisbane, not in Melbourne, don't have a job, don't have anything happening, obviously acting is not a thing at this point. (laughs) But what that did was gave me time to think and it gave me time to consider what the life and the reality I want moving forward is. And when I was in the US, I was having to work, you know, part-time to just pay the bills. And it meant that if I had an audition that popped up, which happened a couple of times, some cool opportunities came up for acting wise. And the way the industry works is you'll get called at 8pm the night before for an audition at 10am the next day. And then you've got to learn your lines and get everything sorted. But if I have work scheduled, I have to say no, because if I don't work, I don't make money, I don't pay my rent. So it meant that I was losing opportunities because of this commitment and being told where to be and what and 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 to 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 show up every day. So I decided that I wanted to find a way to make money but be in full control of my own time and to never be able to say no to an opportunity again. 
And that's when I decided to start my own business and spent the following six months building a digital marketing agency, which I hate that term now. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I struggle with it still, sharing it with people as well. But because I'd worked in sales and marketing for the last the few years prior and I knew that I was a, a good, a, a, a very good salesperson and performed very well. And I think it's also my, my ability to understand people emotionally and to create those sorts of connections. I think that's what's helped me in a lot of sales and marketing roles. Totally. So I had a bit of confidence in that because I'd seen success. And so I went, well, if I can just make websites and run ads and things, which also I didn't know how to do at all at the time, Yeah. then I could just press some buttons on my computer and all of a sudden make money. And obviously my optimistic side goes, all right, if I, and I was planning it all out, I was building the the brand, like the getting the logo done, like like figuring out what the services I'm offering are. And I was like, okay, at this point, if I get this this amount of work, you know, in six months, I'll, I'll be making, you know, easily be making 10K a month at least, right? <laughs> Didn't turn out like that. I think I spent the first year and a half of running the business at a full loss and was actually probably spending more money than what was ever coming in. Luckily, luckily for me at the time, I was on JobSeeker, so I wasn't having to worry about the actual money from the business being something that I was able to live on, but I was able to use that as an opportunity to actually build the foundations of it. Yeah. And that was when I started to teach myself more web development, how to build websites, how to create like ads through Facebook, Google, uh, Instagram, how to just navigate that entire space. And in hindsight, I thought I was good at the time and that I knew what I was doing. I definitely had no fucking idea what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how you learn, man. Like I just threw myself in the deep end and went, I'm just going to try and figure this shit out. And, you know, it's been nearly three years now and I really feel like I've figured it out. And it's meant that I've now at this point in time, man, I've, I've just been able to build this lifestyle and life in general that I'm so happy and grateful for. Like I don't have to work stupid hours if I don't want to, but if I do want to, I can. I have the flexibility to say yes to any social event or opportunity or to go back to Brisbane or to go to Asia and and, and work from there from my computer and say yes to any acting opportunities that come up because I don't have to worry about you know, being told to be in the office at nine in the morning and, and stuck there till five at night. Yeah. So there were a lot of times where I was very close to giving it up, like very, very close to giving it up because it just seemed too impossible or too hard and wasn't bringing in the money. But it was through listening to podcasts and reading and particularly learning patience. And I, I was listening to a lot of tea with Gary V at the time, okay. which, which, which he was one of Gary V's recent podcast sort of structures. And it had come out just at the time that I was building out the business. And he constantly was talking about patience and that, you know, the, if you just keep showing up every single day at one point, it's going to start working out for you, but you've just got to keep going, even if it seems like there's no hope. And it was through that that I just kind of kept kept going, kept trying to improve, kept trying to get better. And 
now it's at a point where I'm not looking for work anymore. Like opportunities kind of come up and I can pick and choose which projects I want to take on and what I want to do, what aligns with, you know, whatever given point I'm in, whether I want to make a little bit more extra money for the next couple of months, or if I want to have more time to spend with the people I love, I have that freedom and that Mm -hmm. flexibility. And that is just like winning the, the lottery. Um, It's kingship, bro. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty special. So I'm, I'm very grateful. And like, it's not like I'm making heaps of money. I'm definitely not making a lot of money, but the money is not, ever been the thing that motivated any of this and I'd be happy making 50k a year if it meant that I just got to continue living this lifestyle that I have because that's what has value to me that's what means the most to me is my ability to be in control of where I spend my time mm. and that if I want to spend it with me I can do that if I want to spend it with you in I can do that if I want to spend it with you know my family in Brisbane or exploring the world I can do that I have that freedom and that choice and just having access to the choice itself is extremely freeing. And it's like, you know, you know how much I love camping and full drive and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Like I always have my car fully set up, ready to go, ready to go out camping at any given moment. I just have to get in and go. And even though I probably don't do it as much as I'd like to, just knowing that I have the freedom and the choice to do that at any given point just gives me ease and I just feel like happy knowing that I have that control that every day can be completely different and I get to dictate what it looks like. I love it, man. The fact that you've gotten, I think to this point at the age you are, at least in this lifetime, I'm a big believer in past lives and things, but I think you have a lot of wisdom for a 24 year old and maybe it came about through, yeah, some early trauma, but like you've mentioned, being grateful for it. I'm very grateful for you sharing that today and the two words specifically that I loved and one of them occurred to me when you shared your definition of masculinity before and I feel like we all have different experiences obviously that shape us it's not my you know position to say it's right or wrong or definition although you know I agree with you but the first one I wanted to touch on was choice and having the choice to do what you want and I think it's such an important thing and I think in every situation you can choose how you want to approach it you know, I was at a wedding on the weekend and there's those one of those little books. I don't know how recently maybe you've been to a wedding, if you've been to a wedding. But, you know, at a wedding, there was this book, write a message to the bride and groom. You know, what would you like to, to, to send to them? And I'd already, you know, given them a card like you do, stuff a bunch of money in it. Yeah. <laughs> But on, on the card, and it was one of the cards from The Simpsons. I don't know if you remember, yeah. you know, the, Love the, Simpsons. the episode. I was watching it the other night, actually. There you go. Don't know if you remember the episode where Ralph gets the card for Valentine's Day and it's got, I I choose choose, choose choose you. you. I know that one. (laughs) Yeah. Like love is a choice, right? Mm. You got to choose love, you know, just because you're now married doesn't mean that love is just going to, you know, come from this ceremony with all your friends and family. Don't get me wrong. Like it was a loving day, but you know. Okay, what was what's today look like for them? You know, day two of their marriage. Like you got to keep pouring love and create into that. So I think the choice is a powerful thing. The other thing you said, and that let us see control. Having control of what you do, I think, is a really healthy way of masculinity, and it's a good control. 
obviously there can be bad control and I'm not talking from that point of view, but the ability to control your life and dictate how things go, I think doing it in a way that is vulnerable, that is allowing you know, the space for others and controlling those aspects so that people can flourish, I think is incredible. I think you do it very well. Thank you, bro. It's, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm proud of and yeah, very, very grateful that that quality has been, you know, manifested over, over a lot of, a lot of work and, you know, a lot of difficult, but also fulfilling experiences. But at the end of the day, man, it's all because of the people that I've had around me and that's you included. (laughs) Like it's everything that I am proud of to be now is because of the people that have been with me and supported me and pushed me to be better. And it's those people like Matt, like Zed, like yourself, and a lot of other people as well along that journey that have that, that I am I, I owe that to. So it's definitely not just me. It's the it's it's the people. And if there's any word of advice that I can give to anyone, it is surround yourself with people that push you to be better every day people that you want to be your best version of yourself around, people that make you feel uncomfortable if you're not showing up as that best self because you want them to see you as your best possible self. If you surround yourself with those people, you will not even notice how much you level up. You just do because it's, 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 out, it's out of love mm. and that's all it comes down to. Love it, brother. Very well said. This has been a, a very fun conversation. Always tend to have them with you when we're not necessarily talking work, albeit they're fun conversations as well. But the I'm best really... conversations, bro. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Can't you tell? I I would love to know, I guess moving forward, we've talked a bit about the acting and the creative process. Mm. And I am a big believer in the work that we both do being creative as well, but specifically related to to that acting and to that creative pursuit, which I think you're brilliant at the personas, the accents, all of it, I would love to know what the future looks like in your eyes. What are you manifesting? What are you building towards? Is that something you still want to pursue? Yeah, it definitely is. And it's something that I think I'll never not be pursuing, but I've also discovered that I have multiple passions and acting used to be the one that I'd go, okay, that is my passion. That is my purpose. That is the thing that I want to do. But passion doesn't have to come with a career choice or a job. For me, I'm also extremely passionate about people and relationships and connection and freedom, control, all of those things. I'm also passionate about marketing and advertising and psychology. So these are all things that I try to balance in my life and and gain the fulfillment I need from each each sort of aspect rather than kind of hyper-focusing on just the one thing, like if it was acting and me just going all in on that. But if I did that, I know that there'd be all these other pieces of me that wouldn't be being fulfilled. So it's something that I will definitely will forever continue to pursue and practice. And even if it's as simple as being silly and doing improv with my friends and just doing accents and characters and just having fun, that's still a way of me fulfilling that part of myself. But I am definitely 
looking forward to. I think just as I'm getting older and I'm meeting more people and my network's expanding and the people I'm around, I think it's just like, you know, when you turn 24, like people around you are like, you're an adult at this point and things are starting to happen, not just for you, but for everyone. And it's one of those industries that's very much who you know. You can be the best actor in the world, but if you don't know anyone on the inside, it's very, 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 very difficult to ever get seen. So for me, my plan is just to continue being me, continue creating meaningful relationships with those around me and having trust that when the opportunity to, you know, be on that Netflix show or, (laughs) you know, I mean, one of my biggest goals is to take my mum to the cinemas to watch a film that I'm in because that's something she used to do with me a lot as a kid and that we still do is we always go to the movies. So that goal is still very, very much fortified in the back of my mind, but everything else that's happening is is part of that process to get to that point. So it'll be something that I always will continue to pursue and will always continue to nurture, but it's not in the traditional sense that I originally thought, which was, you know, only pursuing that one thing and going all in on that and using all my energy just to try and find work, you know, Mm. find an agent, audition for this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I believe that with that trust and I keep that belief in the back of my mind and I, you know, and I, and I stay true to that, that that opportunity will come when it's meant to. And I'll have the freedom and the choice to say yes when it does. I love it, bro. And that's such a beautiful goal to have with your mum yeah yeah it's I'm looking forward to that moment it's already happened time just hasn't caught up yet (laughs) beautiful words well I feel like it's a good point to ask you this final question which you somewhat answered in the last sort of few minutes there but big part of yeah the podcast was wanting to find out what the everyday person answered to questions that were posed on these big podcast episodes like you know Joe Rogan Tim Ferriss which ultimately was what advice would you give to your say younger self now you're 24 just turned you know 24 a month ago Mm. so we can flip this question and if I were to ask you Andrew what advice would you give to your 64 year old self what would you say never ever 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 stop having fun 100%. 100%. Love it, dude. Every day. Every single day. Let's fucking do it. This was fun. This was so much fun, bro. Thank you so much for having me, bro. I feel like I uncover so much about myself when I have these conversations with you as well. So <laughs> I'm very, very grateful to know you and to have witnessed your journey and to be part of part of that and to see your growth as well has been very inspirational. And I'm so happy to see that there are legends like you out there creating stuff for people that helps people that has no other motive than just being what it is and i think that's super special appreciate it man and if i just yeah take a moment whilst we're recording one of these conversations to say that i've got a couple of my best mates overseas at the moment they've been gone for about 16 months and i'm going to see them in about a week yeah. and a half weeks time but i feel like you've come into my life in this period and I think we'll only continue to get closer as time goes on but yeah I've really appreciated our friendship in the past year and then 
yeah, very grateful to have had this conversation recorded. You know, I know we'll have many more, but it's very kind of you to say what you just said. And yeah, hopefully it does help others out there because like you mentioned earlier, maybe, you know, there's many people who didn't have or, or maybe still don't have, you know, a friend that they can go to and talk to or, or share their problems with or share their successes with. So I really appreciate you for all of that, bro, and everything that you've helped me with. You're a king. You're a king. And thank you. <laughs> We're all kings. We're all kings. Cheers, Amazing. brother. Thank you, bro. Love you lots. Love you lots. There you have it. Another episode of The Hope Initiative 101. Thank you again to Andrew for his time and his care and love as always. He's an absolute jet. I forgot to ask him at the end of the episode where you can find him, but there are links to his socials in the show notes. So please do get in touch if you'd like. And as always, if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with someone that you think will get some value out of it. Like uh, the social pages on the internets, on the socials, wherever you live online. And until next time, keep creating your life and all the very best.